0: I didn't put it in the bulletin because I didn't have it by the time it was time to print the bulletin, but if you need a title, if you just have to have a title, there it is, getting to know our problems. The guys gave me a, uh, a hard time about it that uh, maybe it should be called, uh, you know, getting to know my problems, but that's not it. It's getting to know our problems, and uh, um, there's a term uh, I want to recognize uh, here, uh, although it's not in, uh, necessarily in my business, there is a term called pain point. A pain point is a term that I think business people and entrepreneurs use as they consider what it is that they're going to do with themselves. In other words, okay, it's one thing if uh, you offer, you know, a great product. If you're trying to sell a great product, it's one thing if you're trying to sell a great product, but if I don't need it, then who cares, right? It's not a, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a great product if I don't need it or if I don't want it, but on the other hand, if I have a problem and you're offering a solution to my problem, well, then I'm already interested, right? You might try to sell me, but I'm already interested. You already have my attention. If I have a problem, and you have a solution. So the term for my problem, then, is pain point. And so there's a sweet spot where the, uh, you know, someone's great idea and my need come together, and if they come together and meet, that's, that's where I pay you, right? That's the sweet spot. Now, This will be a little bit different, because now what if I have a pain point, but you disagree with me about what it is? So I have a problem, and you come to me and say, no, that's not your problem. Let me tell you what your problem is. How am I going to receive you? Mm, We'll see. You know, what if we disagree about what the problem is, and what if we disagree about how to fix it? And what if we disagree about what the outcome should look like? I've got a problem, you disagree about what it is. I think I know how to fix it, you disagree with me about how to fix it. I think I know what it should look like on the other side of the fix, and you say, no, it should look something different than that. Well, that's what you call a hard sell. Because your way is totally different than my way in every one of those categories. And that's a hard sell. So the only way for me, then, to listen to you... Is if you do something that's really pretty awesome, really pretty special to convince me that you know what you're doing, that you know what you're talking about. Well, that's the idea that I want to focus on today in Matthew 9 verses 1 to 8. So you can open your Bibles. We'll put those verses on the screen for you as well. But today, as we're getting to know your problems, or our problems, or my problems, as we're getting to know these problems, I want to focus on this idea of what if these things don't match? It's a story uh, where Jesus quickly diagnoses a man's problem, and then everybody in the room has to figure out what they think about that. Jesus says he knows what the problem is, and everyone's got to figure out what they think about what Jesus says. So first, it tells us in these verses to get to know your problems. Let me read for you a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Uh, This is a carryover from chapter 8, uh, where Jesus did a lot of great and miraculous things, and the people couldn't handle it, so they asked him to leave, and he did. And then, and behold... Uh, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. You would recognize this story from the, uh, the books of Mark and Luke. It is in all three of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, it is a story where, not in Matthew, but in those other books, it refers to the crowds being uh, the people from the village, the scribes, the Pharisees, or the re- religious leaders. And the room was so packed they couldn't get in. The four people brought their paralyzed friend. They couldn't get in, so they tore open the roof and lowered him down through the roof to see Jesus. That's in Mark and Luke. But here in Matthew, let me keep reading. I keep interrupting myself. Behold, some people brought to him, Jesus, a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, the paralyzed man who can't walk, he said, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Now wait just a minute. This man knows what his problem is. He's suffering. He knows why his friends had to carry him there. He knows why they had to lower him down through the roof of the house. The man is suffering because his legs don't work. He wasn't looking for Jesus' opinion about his sins. His legs don't work. He knows what his problem is. There was a disagreement about the pain point. Now, you and I, we have a pain point. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what yours is. You have to consider it. Uh, It could be almost anything. There could be, maybe you have in your life, a relationship that's soured. By the way, as I mention these, I'm not making light of any of these or the paralyzed man in the story. There is something that drives you to go see Jesus. It could be a relationship that's soured. It could be an actual physical condition. It could be a spiritual dryness or discontent. It could really be some sense of guilt. Maybe you're not happy at work. Maybe you've got money problems. Maybe there's a lack of just a general lack of success in your life. It could be almost anything. And when we take, here's the thing, when we take our pain to Jesus, we like to, we like to point it out to him. We like to point out to him exactly what it is. And the reason for that, of course, is because we want him to know what his job is. We like to point out our issue to Jesus because we, like we like to tell Jesus what his job is and to just stick with that. So we fill out the customer service ticket for Jesus, which says right knee pain, like me. Okay, My knee hurts. It always hurts. Jesus, can you do something about that? Maybe the customer service ticket that you give to Jesus says, my boss doesn't care about me. And maybe the customer service ticket that you give to Jesus says, Jesus, my kids think I'm lower than dirt. Jesus, can you help me with that? Can you fix it, Jesus? We all like to tell Jesus what his job is so that he knows how far he's supposed to go in our lives. Well, Jesus, you know, could Jesus fix the paralyzed man? Can Jesus fix our boss? Can Jesus fix our knee pain? Can he fix our kids? Of course, Jesus can do whatever he wants, right? But this time he said, you think your problem is paralysis? No. Your problem is sin. The man went for one reason, and Jesus focused on another thing altogether. It's like when we go to the doctor. I, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't know about you, but some people go to doctors. So it's like when you go to the doctor, and uh, you, you know, you you say, you know, doctor, I think I'm dying. Uh, you know, I've got anxiety. I've got sweats. My heart is racing. I can't sleep at night. I wake up with nightmares. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I just, I, I, can't handle anything. I, I think, you know, I was looking it up on the WebMD. <laughs> so I put all these, I put all these things in the WebMD doc. I think, you, you know, I, I, I think it's one of those foreign bugs. I think it's, you know, because I had a, I had a coworker who went to Kathmandu last year. Okay, and I'm pretty sure he's a carrier of the Kathmandu flu. And I think that's what it is, Doc. And the doctor says, thank you for your opinion. Says he, and the doctor says, well, you know, uh, the sheet here says that you drink 20 cups of coffee a day. So maybe you ought to think about considering the idea of, you know, Maybe, you know, cut back to like four or five cups a day, and you say to the doctor, mind your own business, you quack. (laughs) Who asked you your opinion anyway, right? The doctor had a different idea, and he wasn't all that convinced by your own diagnostic skills. Jesus said, you think this is your problem? I think it's a different problem. I think your problem is sin. So time out. Because... We, we, we have to address, address the problem. I don't think that, that uh, we can be accused biblically of, uh, of misrepresenting uh, the thrust of Scripture, but I don't want us to be. I want to make sure that we're not. Does the Bible say that there's always a direct connection between our personal sin and suffering? In other words, if we are suffering, especially with a physical condition, does that mean that that is a direct result of sin? No, not usually. No, not usually. That's, I mean, sometimes sometimes there is just that's that's you know history our own lives would would show us that sometimes there's a connection between our own sin and our suffering but biblically that's not usually the thrust of the bible teaching personal suffering is usually actually an indirect you know effect of just living in a fallen and sin cursed world you know in other words you know the root of suffering yeah yeah the root of suffering is sin but not always your own personal sin we live in a sinful world and the effects of that go far and deep, touching on all parts of life and nature. But sometimes, and this has to be okay too, sometimes, as in this passage, Jesus ties the sin and the suffering together. Why? Why here? Why now? Because Jesus' purpose was deeper than just healing bodies, sometimes He does heal bodies. But his purpose was deeper than just healing bodies. His interest is the root causes of our problems. His goals are greater than fixing surface issues. Again, surface issues doesn't mean not important, doesn't mean that they're not significant to us, but Jesus is primarily concerned for something deeper. We can safely say that whatever your pain point, no matter how real or significant That it is, whatever your pain point, Jesus is always primarily first concerned for forgiveness, for our relationship to the Father. That means our need for forgiveness, our need for restoration to Him is greater than all of our other needs, very real needs. But our need for forgiveness, our need for our relationship to be restored to the Father in heaven is greater. It is Jesus' purpose. And there comes a point when he says, yes, I can do lots of things for you, but my first concern is your heart, is your salvation, is your spiritual growth. And so I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I need help with this project. And Jesus says, how's your relationship to God? I say, (laughs) I say, Jesus, I wish I could fix this thing with my family. He says, how's your relationship to God? I say, Jesus, I wish I was taller. And Jesus says, come on. (laughs) That's, That's actually only mildly a joke because there's plenty of people here in this room, right, who are not happy about our own bodies and appearances, right? And so we take it with a grain of salt, but we also recognize that that could be your pain point for real. The truth is, Jesus didn't invade this world as well he 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 did but didn't jesus didn't just invade this world as a baby he didn't just become like one of us and just live a sinless life and offer all the blessings of the kingdom and die on a roman cross and was buried he didn't rise again on a third day just so that we could be more comfortable and content in this life his reasons were deeper his goals are higher Jesus' mission was to save humankind, past, present, future, from our sin. Now, we might not like being reminded of our sins. We might not like being reminded of our problems, but looking into the face of Jesus will always remind us of our sin. And looking into the face of Jesus will always remind us of God's grace. And so when Jesus disagrees with us what our problem is, we should probably listen to him because he's concerned for something far greater than we really are and a need that we might not even know that we have, but he's willing to help. And so we get to know our problems as Jesus would know our problems. And at this point in the story, just a couple verses in, we realize that now Jesus has challenged the understanding of the crowd. About what's really going on with a person's life. And the focus now shifts from the problems of the person, it, the focus of the story shifts from the person's problems to Jesus himself. So, yes, we got to get to know our problems, but more importantly here, we got to get to know Jesus. Because actually, as unexpected as it was in the story, I mean, Jesus was healing all sorts of people even before this story. And so while it was expected that he would focus on the healing and he didn't, while that was unexpected in the story that Jesus was focusing on uh, forgiveness over healing, in fact, you you know, the people in the story didn't actually seem all that shocked by it. In other words, you know, they were okay with the idea that the person needed forgiveness. You know, Jesus says you need forgiveness. And the people in the story were kind of like, yeah, that guy needs forgiveness. Say, <laughs> so, yeah, he's a sinner. Uh, there was no, there was no argument about whether we needed forgiveness in the story. That wasn't the shocking thing. They were okay with the idea that the man needed forgiveness. They believed in that. But what bothered the people present, especially the teachers, the religious leaders who were present there, wasn't that the person needed forgiveness. It was how Jesus just proclaimed it. That's what they. That's what they couldn't get over. That's what they didn't like. And so in Matthew 9, verses 3 and following, let me read. He says, And behold, some of the scribes, Pharisees were also present, religious leaders, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Blaspheming means that they were going, they were accusing Jesus of taking to himself the kind of things, the kind of role, the kind of prerogative that only God in heaven has. And they're saying, "Jesus, you're taking on a role that you don't have. You can't have it. This is for God alone." They're saying, "This man is blaspheming." But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, "Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk?" Well, that's a head scratcher. That's a very good question. What is easier to say? Jesus goes on, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And get a load of what this guy has the nerve to do. Look at the response of this paralyzed guy. And he rose and went home. Can you believe it? He just did it. Well, of course he did. Now, earlier we looked at what, you know, when, when what we think the problem is is different than what Jesus thinks the problem is. And now we're looking at when what we think the fix for our problem is and what that fix looks like is different than what Jesus thinks the fix looks like. Because of the assumptions that everyone had, the scribes and the Pharisees who were there too, they were perfectly willing to accept that the man needed forgiveness. They were they were assuming that he was a sinner. It's how Jesus did it that was so shocking. You know, it's like uh, it's it's like that spit take. You know, in the in the in the TV show, whenever someone you know when someone's going to get weird or funny or bad news, they're always drinking something, right? And so, they, you know, in the, in the TV show or the movie, they're drinking something, they get the bad news, and they spit it, you know, they spit it right out. That's kind of what, you know, these guys, you know, they, they're going to wait for Jesus to heal the guy. Okay, whatever. They, you know, they, they might, they might, you know, wait for Jesus to accuse him of being a sinner. That's not a big deal. He proclaims forgiveness, and they spit it right back out. Like, this can't, this can't be happening. You know, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that, you know the, the kind of uh, you know offensive reaction that you know, you know you're 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 about to take. It's a hot summer day, and you've got that that glass, that clear glass of that you know that that dark brown fizzy liquid. The glass has got ice in it, and it's the water's you know condensed on the outside, and it's you know you're ready to you're ready to go after that Coke or Pepsi, whatever you prefer. I mean. I'm not prejudiced. So you use a Coke or Pepsi in there, and, and you're just ready to down that whole thing you know, at, at, one, at one time, and you go after that Coke or Pepsi, and, and you take the biggest gulp of that, and it's root beer. What a cruel joke. How could somebody have tricked you this way? You spit it out. It's just, it's just awful. Well, actually, I mean, I got no problem with root beer, but if it's not what you're expecting, right? If it 's not what you're expecting, you just you, can't, you just ugh, you, you, you spit it right back out, and when Jesus just proclaimed, "Your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders just spit it right. This is not okay this is we, we can't handle this kind of blasphemy. So we understand that they assumed that there were certain ways to get forgiveness now uh, we also have to understand, okay, so if someone says that they're concerned for the holiness and the uniqueness of God in heaven, that's not a bad thing, right? That's, that's not the issue. So, you know, why does Jesus say that, that their thoughts were evil? Was it because they were concerned for God's holiness? I don't think so. I, I think they assumed that there were certain ways to get forgiveness, and often those ways went through them. They had prescribed ways to, for people to arrive at forgiveness. The, the religious system was rigged so that certain people would gain influence and power over other people. And so uh, it was okay, perfectly okay for, the, for Jesus to say, you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. Go do these things. Go participate in these ceremonies uh, that, uh, that other people control so that you can be forgiven. He just forgave the man. Uh, and uh, that's not what they... We're expecting. They were expecting the religious system to be reinforced. But we rigged the system too. I mean, we don't mean to, we don't necessarily want to, but sometimes, you know, we, you know, we would say we want, we, we want anyone and everyone in church, we want, we, we want a church full of, of people from the neighborhood and no strings attached. There's, no, uh, there, there's no, uh, no work you have to do ahead of time. See, that means that we'll wait a couple of weeks before we make sure that people get their act together, right? Uh, people have to look and act a certain way because forgiveness is supposed to do that, right? So we assume that a forgiven person is going to look and act a certain way. And maybe biblically they will act a certain way, but is biblically what a forgiven person looks like? The same thing as what we assume a forgiven person is supposed to look like. And maybe we just need to challenge our assumptions sometime about what, we th- you know, what forgiveness really looks like. And and what we want it to look like. And sometimes we need to challenge our assumptions about whether what what we want forgiveness to look like is on the other side or whether it's actually a condition. In other words, you know, if you do these things and if you act a certain way, if you look a certain way, if you get your act together, then God will help and forgive you. Or maybe you're enslaved in your own system that I won't be helped and forgiven by God unless I get my act together, unless I look a certain way. But Jesus said, your assumptions about forgiveness are wrong and evil because they steal the glory from God. They steal the glory of forgiveness from God, and it gives it to us. When there's conditions, when there's ceremonies, when there's, act, when there's acts that we have to carry out in order to get forgiveness, that takes the glory from God and gives it to us. And that's called evil by Jesus. It's not our assumptions about forgiveness that does the job of forgiveness. It's Jesus' authority to forgive sins that gets the job done. He can forgive sins on his own. He just, look in the story, he just did it. Now, he didn't send the man to carry out a prescribed ceremony to go see other people that, you know, that uh, the people said he had to go see. For He just forgave him. Right then and there, Jesus was not proclaiming there is forgiveness of sins available for all people. He was particular. This man this, this man in particular, his sins were forgiven. The story does mention the faith of the man and the people who brought him. That's important. We don't want to forget about that. But Jesus just forgave him of his own authority right then and there. Who has that kind of authority? Jesus, not me, not you, not the leaders that were there. Jesus has that kind of authority, and the teachers didn't like that one bit. They didn't like it one bit. And, you know, actually, they would have probably challenged Jesus in the story a whole lot more, except for you know what happens. Jesus did something really pretty awesome to convince them and us that he knew what he was doing, that he knew what he was talking about. If you, if you have your Bibles open, you can look in those verses again. It says right there in verse 6, Jesus said that in order for us to know something, we're really getting to the, the, uh, the, center, the central point of the story, of what it was all about. Jesus said in order for us to know something, he performed a miracle. We're so tempted to put all our energy into looking at this miracle, to talking about what it is to be lame or paralyzed or, or to have physical problems. And those are all real. That's true. We're so tempted to, to focus on the miracle. He just healed the man. But the miracle isn't the point of the story. Jesus Jesus said he was doing that so that we could know something. The miracle isn't the point of the story. It's not the content of what Jesus wants us to know. In other words, that Jesus is powerful enough to heal a man, that's not what he's trying to get across here. It's not the content, it's the proof. It's the social proof for the content so that we'll believe what he's about to say. He did a miracle. So what is the content? What is it that we're supposed to come away thinking about? Two ideas. There's two ideas that Jesus has for us in Uh, in these verses. First, we've already gone there. Jesus claimed the authority to forgive sins. Nobody would claim the authority to forgive sins because that's only something that God could do, but people claim the authority to to tell you what hoops you have to jump through to, to get to God. Jesus just did it. Jesus says, I forgive sins on my own. Unlike the other prescribed ways of these people, I will do it on my own. And so, he claimed the authority to forgive sins. And if you don't believe it, this is the miracle, if you don't believe it, the guy who just got up, picked up his bed, and walked out, he begs to differ with you. Jesus can offer forgiveness of his own authority. And here it is. The offer of salvation from sin, the offer of salvation from shame, and from guilt is free. But it cannot be combined with any other offers. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Or it's not at all. Jesus could not say to the man your sins are forgiven, now go do five things so that they could really be forgiven. Jesus can't say that, it's not true. It takes the glory away from God, gives it to men. It takes the glory away from who he is and just makes him another man-made system of religion. When we come to Jesus, we come with empty hands, we come with inability, we come unable to fix our own problems, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He does it on his own. Have you gone to him with nothing and said, Jesus, can you fix this? I hope you have. It's the only way. Jesus claimed the th- direct authority to forgive sins. And the other idea was that he claimed the title. This, kind of, this one kind of sneaks under the radar, by the way, in the story. Jesus sne- he, he, he claims the title of Son of Man. In those verses, he says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority. He claimed the title of Son of Man, which is code. The title, the title Son of Man is a code word for, term for king. It's not a nickname. It's not just a name that Jesus went by or that other people gave to him. When you read Daniel 7, you might have a cross-reference in your Bible or write it down. When you read Daniel 7, you'll see that the Son of Man is the title for the promised king, for the promised kingdom that overcomes all human kingdoms. And that's part of the larger point of the book of Matthew. That Jesus has or will fulfill all those Old Testament promises about the Messiah or the coming King. That's what that's about. So while Jesus is a humble servant, and he is, and while he wants to help, and he does, he gets to decide how to do it. Jesus gets to decide how to do it. Here's the point of the passage. Here's the point. Uh, I didn't actually put it up on the screen, but maybe, you know, If you're writing, you could write this. Here's the point. Getting to know know Jesus means Jesus gets his way. If today is the first time you come to him, if today is the first time that you ever come to Jesus to trust him for salvation, or if today is the thousandth time that you come to him to find help in times of need, Jesus will help you his way. His way might be different from what you expect, but it will be what you need. Because coming to Jesus means that Jesus gets his way. So get to know your problems and get to know, uh, you, uh, get to know Jesus because he has his own thoughts about our problems. And he has his own thoughts about how to fix uh, our problems, about what we need. And so what's on the other side of the pain point? What's on the other side? If Jesus has his own thoughts about what the fix is, what about what the outcome is supposed to look like? Well, now we get to know faith, our faith. Finally, in Matthew 9, verse 8, when the crowd saw it, the miracle and the forgiveness, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. What, what is God looking for? What does he think the outcome in our lives should be when he helps us? What if what we think the outcome should look like is different than what Jesus thinks the outcome of his help should look like? Remember, some people in the crowd really thought, that when they encountered Jesus, when they went to go see Jesus, uh, you know, the conclusion of the matter, the whole event, uh, you know, whatever series it was, you know, the the conclusion of the matter was going to be their own evaluation of Jesus. Okay, we're going to go see the Jesus show, and when it's all done, we'll decide how we did. You know, they thought, you know, as if they were his graders, you know, good job, you know, on the way out. Good job, Jesus. Good job, Jesus. As if somehow they were superior enough to decide if he had done a good job. They're evaluating Jesus and how he's doing with his life in ministry. Uh, Some of you here are students in uh, some level of school. Uh, Many of you know that I teach online. Uh, uh, for Clark Summit University, that I teach a course for that, and sometimes uh, I'll get a I'll, I'll get a student or a number of students that think that they're in my class and that the idea I mean what they're going after, I and mean, they have this funny idea that the the goal of what they're doing is to get a grade so, or to pass, like like the like the highest ambition for this course is that they get a grade that passes and they can move on with things. Some of them have a little bit loftier goal. They want the degree uh, completion or you know, a diploma of some kind. And so you know, uh, this, uh, this has to be corrected <laughs> so, because when you get to a teacher's class, they're not really concerned about your, 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 your grade or your, your They are, but that's not your grade or your degree. They're concerned that you get an education and so I get a student who who you know it's just you know I you know this isn't my major you know I just I just wanna I just wanna get this past, you know, so I can finish my degree I just need a grade what can I do is there some is there some extra credit I can do I just need you know I just need to get this behind me, and I'm like you're crazy you you have a misunderstanding about what this course is. You're about to enter into the most important class you could ever take. This is the best class in the catalog. This is your grade. Yeah, do a good job. You'll get a good grade. Don't worry about it. This is life-changing stuff. There is nothing better that you could be doing with your time. You you know, I know you got a job. I know you got a a girlfriend. I know you got a dog. There's nothing better you could be doing with your time than this course. This is going to change your life, your whole outlook on how you see the world. Your your worldview is going to change because of this course. So don't come at me with that weak stuff about your grade or getting a degree completion. I don't care. It's life-changing stuff. Jesus doesn't want you to just get through this pain point. He doesn't want you to just get, get past it, put it behind you so that you can carry on with what your own personal goals are for your life. He isn't looking for your course evaluation of the whole thing. He wants your life to change for his honor and glory. When Jesus demonstrates the kind of authority that he did in a story like this to forgive sins, to heal people on his own authority, when he demonstrates that kind of authority, he's not asking for your evaluation, but your subordination. Just as they feared God and gave him glory, we do the same. We accept Jesus for who he is and we worship him for it. Because it turns out the correct faith response is to Jesus has nothing to do with our approval of him, but with our submission to him. Isn't that what we really need, by the way? Now, who's interested in a God who just always agrees with me? Oh, I know we all are interested in that, but really, a king or a God who's only as good as me or only as smart as me or only as able to fix problems as me, that's not a king worth bowing before. Jesus is worthy. So pick the pain point. I'm not here to tell you uh, about the problems in your life or specifically the problems of my life, but uh, there are always issues in this life. There are always areas that rub the wrong way, areas that we know that there could be a problem. Pick the pain point. It could be that you have a relationship that's soured. It could be A physical condition. It could be a spiritual dryness or discontent. uh, Some sense of guilt. You're not happy. Uh, You're not happy at work. Maybe you've got money problems and maybe you've just got a general lack of success in your life. Decide right now who's going to fix it. Who's able to fix it? Who can fix it? Because, you see, I'm positive that Jesus can fix it and I know that he wants to help you and I'm pretty sure he isn't going to ask you how to do it He's probably going to go to issues that maybe you didn't want to go to. He's probably going to go to to causes that are a little deeper than what you think. It may be sin in your life. It might be sin in somebody else's life. It might be something unrelated altogether. And it might be that this is exactly where Jesus wants you right now. But I'm confident in his ability to help and his desire to help. And I'm pretty sure he's not going to ask you how. And it might not be what you expect. But he's the king, so he gets his way. That's our story. He's the king, so he gets his way. and His way might be different than what you expect. It'll probably go deeper, but it will be what you need. Pick who's going to fix the issue, the pain point. After we ask him for help, we demonstrate our faith. How do we demonstrate our faith? After we ask him for help, we let him We let him. Jesus, I don't I don't think you're doing that right here. Let me show you how to do it. Jesus, you didn't do it right away. Let me tell you how this is supposed to go. We demonstrate our faith and our praise of God Almighty and our King who 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 fulfills all of the promises by letting him do it his way. It's hard, but it's right and it's good. When we do that, we're ready to praise. When we do that, we're ready to worship. Submit to him whatever he thinks is best. Our God in heaven, it is very hard for us to to see life and the world from your perspective. We can't see eternity. We can't see how things are going to go for us years from now. We can't see how things are going to go for us later today. You're the king, so you get your way. Help us to submit ourselves to you, to your ways which are best, to your fixes in our lives which sometimes cut pretty deep. Help us to submit to one king and one savior. There may be someone here today, Lord, who has yet to come to you for the first time to ask for your help for forgiveness. Father, I pray that they would come today with nothing in their hands, only need and a willingness to to let you have your way. Let today be a day of salvation. The rest of us need salvation in that spiritual sanctification sense as well. We need that progressive work that you do. We come to you for the hundredth, thousandth, ten-thousandth time because life is hard, and sometimes we mess things up, and other times life just gets messed up for us. We want you to fix it. And Father, we declare that we are dependent on you for whatever you think the fix is. And so we submit to your ways, your plans, knowing that your gifts are good. Your plan is right, that your thoughts are higher and better than ours. So let us leave this place again, as we have before, bow down to Jesus, our Savior and our King, to have his way with us, whatever it might be. Help us as we depart to go with a sense of praise and worship because you are doing a good work in our lives. And give us patience and grace for the moment that whether you choose to fix an issue in our life right away or let it wait, we don't have to have our way. You get your way. Let that be the words in our mouths and the attitude that all might see, that the world might know, that we're good, trusting you as our King and our Savior. And so this we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.